This episode of On the Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles curbside pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey everybody, Mike Griffith here and welcome to tonight's Ingles on the Beat. I am on location in downtown Atlanta in the media room as we build up to the Georgia-Ohio State CFP Peach Bowl semifinal is going to be happening right here in town, right down the road in about, what, oh, six days. It's not that far away. Hard to believe. The Bulldogs are here. The Buckeyes are here. Ryan Day in Ohio State brought the team playing in one day early. Buckeyes trying to get the jump on the Georgia Bulldogs. They came in last night, Christmas night, and then there were more players who came in this morning. Ohio State practiced in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Georgia practiced in Athens this afternoon. The team bust over. They are currently uh, at the Hall of Fame, College Football Hall of Fame. I see a nice shot of the Atlanta Marriott Marquis. You see the buses arriving there in the background. And there's Kirby Smart. Kirby going for back-to-back national championships, folks. He's been here before. He did it when he was the defensive coordinator at Alabama. And listening to Kirby today, let me tell you, he was intense. He was dialed in. We asked him about Lad McConkey and Warren McClendon. Of course, Lad, he said, had the knee tendonitis. You saw him leave the LSU game early. McClendon, you saw that he had the sprained knee. Didn't really give much of an answer. Said hopeful to have him back. So you can look and maybe see some of those guys. I don't think you're going to see anybody too closely. Uh, but the dogs are here, and they're going to start their press conferences tomorrow morning right here. Uh, downtown Atlanta, um, and it's it's going to be amazing. The buildup has already started. There's some Ohio State media in here. I was talking to some guys from the 11 Warriors website. You see Jeremy Pruitt here. He understands the intensity, the arrival scene. Coach, thanks for joining me. Tell me what it's like when those buses pull up in the hotel. What's going through the minds of those players and those coaches? Well, <clears throat> you know, first of all, Mike, it's so hard to get there. Right. Uh, just an opportunity to, to play in the college football playoffs. But, you know, Georgia's got a group of guys that have been there. A lot of them were heavily involved in the success last year. And there's guys that were on the team that maybe wasn't involved, but they've had the experience of, of what it's like. And just hearing it in your voice, uh, the excitement, the passion, uh, knowing that the moment is not far down the road. Uh, you talk about a lot of anxiety and things that they've been looking for their entire life. Um, and it's going to be special to me just this game because it's in the, it's in the state of Georgia, you know, and, and we both know how the Georgia fans are going to fill the stadium and, uh, and create that home field advantage that there will be an advantage. I'm going to tell you, uh, we, we saw it in, in the, the game earlier this year when Tennessee and Georgia played. And I think, again, in the SEC championship game. It was a huge advantage to Georgia, and I think it's an opportunity for Georgia to create a home field advantage here. Yeah, I'm thinking it's going to be 60-40, maybe 65-35. I know those Buckeye fans travel really well. Ryan Day today saying, look, he, he knows what he's in for. He says he knows what to expect. He pointed out that Ohio State has been in the college football playoff three of the last four years. Did not sound intimidated. Said that Ohio State plays physical football. They're used to playing physical football in the Big Ten. You know, I, I kind of took a step back and said, well, I, I guess. I, I don't know. You know, I think this Georgia team 
it might be a little bit more physical than what they've seen in the Big Ten, Jeremy. Well, just week in and week out, uh, we we know the the depth of the SEC and uh, particularly this Georgia team, the brand of football, uh, how they practice every single day. Uh, you hear the players talk about it, the culture that they have. Uh, it's something that they look forward to, um, and it gives them an opportunity on Saturdays because I'm I'm telling you, the speed of the game, uh, Georgia sees it every day in practice. And I'm not taking anything away from Ohio State. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure, um, you know, looking at, at their team, uh, they've got a lot of playmakers, particularly on the offensive side, uh, which I think will be a challenge uh, to Georgia. But um, at the same time, they, they've, not, they've not blocked many guys like they're going to block in Georgia's front. Uh, they're probably not going to see the amount of scheme and different looks that Georgia's going to present to them uh, this week. So, um, you know, hey, you, I mean, what's Ryan Day going to say? Hey, we, we're lucky to be here. We're, we're <laughs> nervous as hell to play this game. No, he, he's excited. He believes in his team. Um, and, and, hey, I'm going to tell you, Georgia's going to have to be at their best in this game. Yeah, I think so. I think both teams feel like they have to be at their best. I know Ohio State said they're trying. They got to score 40 points. And, you know, that sounds like just this outlandish goal. But but it's not. It's like, no, that's what you have to do. If you look at Georgia's last, what, three or four losses, right? They lost to Alabama last year, 41-24. Uh, they lost to uh, Florida. I believe Florida put 45 on them in, uh, in Jacksonville in 2020. Bama beat them 41-24 in Tuscaloosa. You go back to 2019, I think LSU had 37. But, but I think Ryan Day and Ohio State are right here. You better score 40 because when Kirby scores 30 or more, he's 56 and one. And the one time he lost was on a Hail Mary from Josh Dobbs. So I think Ohio State knows the goal, but scoring those points can be something different. Now, I want to ask you about something Roman Harper said a few weeks ago. Now, he was talking about LSU, but it might as well be uh, Ohio State. He said, you're wasting your time running the ball. Don't don't even don't even try it. You just come out slinging. Now, you're, you're a defensive coordinator. You've been a head coach. I mean, is it just unrealistic to think that Ohio State could just come out gunning, just aware, just knowing that Georgia is going to stop run first? No, I, I, I'm going to disagree with that. I feel like that uh, somewhere you've got you've to establish one run, okay? And I'm talking about just a core run. Is it inside zone? Is it stretch? Is it something? Uh, is it something with a quarterback? You know, uh, you've got to have something that you can hang your hat on to get three or four yards um, when you run the football to stay in positive down and distance. You know, then at the same time, uh, can you create loose runs? Uh, and by that, things that where you don't have to block the front, you get the ball on the perimeter, maybe you run zone one way, and you've got uh, a missile motion coming from the other way. And if George is playing split safety, you flip the ball out there and try to run out on the perimeter so you don't have to block the guys inside, right? Uh, so they've got to figure out some way to be able to run the football. It'll take pressure off the quarterback and the offensive line. Um, so I, I do believe they've got to figure out some way to be able to run the football so they can sustain drives because it's not going to be big play after big play after big play. Well, we hear Kirby talk about the extended handoff, right? When we go back to the Oregon game, we saw how they kind of outflanked the Ducks and shot those quick uh, receiver screens, tight end screens, uh, quick passes out there on the perimeter. Kirby said, you know, I know it counts as a pass, but they considered it run because it was such a high percentage. I'm just wondering if Ohio State maybe presses the perimeter. And 
And to your point, if they got to run, I mean, can you pass to set up the run? Yeah, absolutely. And and, and they've got a quarterback that can extend a guy that's got a lot of experience. And, and, and you know, if you I know one of the first things probably George is doing as a staff is they're going to chart the throws. How many throws are behind the line of scrimmage? Because just like you know, Kirby said that's an extension of the run game. That's really not a pass, right? It's just so you don't have to block the front. So how many balls are behind the line of scrimmage? And from there, um, they'll probably chart them seven yards, seven and less, and they'll probably go to 15, and then beyond that, considering shots down the field. So uh, how's Ohio State extending, creating a little bit in the run game with the perimeter throws, but also how are they creating their explosive plays and early downs and shots down the field? Yeah, Brian Day today said he knows that Georgia does a great job with their hands up front and their pad level. Said they just eat up as many gaps as possible and try to create a mess inside. He said they do a great job with that. And he said they're going to have to play their best game up front. When we talk about Georgia and the gap integrity, you hear that term a lot, gap integrity. You know, Georgia may not rack up the sacks numbers that some of the other schools do, Coach, but – it seems to me that everybody stays in their lane. That that's that's kind of part of the deal. And I, I don't know. I'm guessing that that goes all the way back to Alabama when you talk about how guys rush and how they stay in their lane. If you can maybe elaborate on those principles and and why maybe Georgia doesn't have the sack numbers, but they're still able to create that havoc by staying in the rush lanes. Well, one thing that's probably different in college ball as opposed to pro ball, there's more guys that are more athletic in, in college ball that are more willing to run. Um, so, um, you know, when you get on an edge to beat a guy, if you're a defensive tackle, if you're a defensive end and you're on the edge and you're going to beat them, you got to win. If you don't win, obviously you're creating a lane, right? If you're rushing four guys, there's five guys to block you. There's two extra lanes in there. If you're bringing five, there's an extra lane in there. So uh, you're going to hear or hear kind of in our family talking about pushing the pocket, you know, uh, trying to push, push the defenders on top of them. If you can win, then you got to be able to, you got to be able to close to the quarterback. If not, you got to maintain and keep pushing the guy and, and make the guy throw from out of the pocket. Don't let him step up in the pocket where he's got lanes to see. Um, and don't let him escape outside the pocket. Uh, obviously we're, you've got great vision as a quarterback. So just making the quarterback play the position from the pocket. Now, Kirby, we mentioned a little bit earlier in the show, Coach, and I know folks are just joining us now. Kirby Smart, not real transparent on the injuries to Ladd McConkey and right tackle Warren McClendon. Look, they've got Amarius Mims. He's a five-star guy, but three-year starter versus second-year guy that's played part-time, I mean, that's a pretty significant drop at right tackle. Is that enough to change the playbook if Warren McClendon, that three-year starter, can't go at right tackle? Does Todd Munkin have to change some things up, do you think? Um, I don't think so. I mean, when you look at the talent there in the front and, um, you know, he's been on campus two years, so he's got a chance, opportunity to play a lot of ball. Uh, so, hey, if, if they need to keep a tight end into chip or a back into chip in protection, they possibly could do that. There's, all, there's a lot of different ways to neutralize somebody on the defensive front. To me, the injury with Ladd, to me, is a big thing. And, and the first thing I'm thinking of is who's going to return punts. Um, so that's one thing as a coach when, hey, when you force them to punt the football, uh, it's great when you know the guy back there catching it's got experience because, hey, uh, it's the one time in football when there's 10 dudes running down there and you're kind of defenseless waiting on that ball to hang out there. And uh, he's done a phenomenal job this year uh, back there returning punts. 
had a question for Kirby Smart today. He was asking about Ohio State playing three high, which I guess would be like a three deep zone. Um, I don't know. Maybe is that is that a? I, I guess the Tampa two would be a, a a part of that where they drop the middle linebacker. I, I'm wondering when you play a double tight end team like Georgia is, what are some different ways that teams can combat that? Because Kirby talked today about playing what they call the 12 personnel with two tight ends. And he said, what makes Georgia different is that whereas a lot of teams lose speed when they go with the two tight ends, Georgia really doesn't. So if you're a defensive coordinator and you're drawing it up and you've been in these, you've been in the shoes before, I don't know that you've seen two tight ends like this at, at one time and, in any of the schools you confronted, I'm sure at some point you did. What are some different things that Ohio State can throw at Georgia to combat those two tight ends? What are the challenges and what are some some typical defenses for the sort of personnel Georgia brings out? Well, first, just talking about the three high safety stuff. So uh, I'm going to tell you, Mike, this is something we started playing 20 years ago at Hoover High School. And at that time, everybody was copying the, uh, the Mike Leach air raid. Um, throwing the ball with four wide receivers, not playing with a uh, with tight ends. If they were, they were they were flexed out. So it was a way to to handle perimeter the perimeter game, the perimeter screens. Uh, there wasn't a lot of RPOs. There were just more screens at that time. So it was different ways um, to confuse the quarterback. Lots of times, if it's not a progression read where it's one, two, three, four, it may be versus one high or two high. And if you got three safeties back there, there's a chance you can make the quarterback hold the ball. You see Georgia lines up some of it on third down. Uh, but playing against 12 personnel and creating, um, you know, two guys on the edge, it to me it's tough to, to stay in that three-high look uh, to, to secure the edge defensively. It's tough to win in the C area uh, as a defense. So I think, uh, you know, with Georgia playing with a lot of 12 personnel, they're going to they're gonna put – uh, Ohio State in some defensive looks that they probably are not comfortable with. And if you go back and watch the Michigan game, they did the same way and created a lot of explosive plays in the run game. Well, that's interesting. I know Michigan is, is a comparable team. They're a, a power team. I do wonder a little bit about all the different fronts that, that Coach Knowles used. And you, you know all these coordinators. You study each other. I'm sure you know about this guy. He did some things at uh, Oklahoma State. Uh, supposedly, theoretically, they do a really good job disguising things. They do a lot of movement. I kind of wonder, against Georgia, a team that calls so much at the line of scrimmage, I guess I kind of reflect back on the Missouri game or I reflect on the, the Mississippi State game with, with Arnett. The teams that have moved around and provided different looks, we've heard Kirby say after the game, maybe we asked Stetson to do too much. To me, that's code for he didn't read things like he was supposed to, or they did some things to confuse him. How much danger is there when you play a team that's as multiple and that moves around as much as one of these Knowles defense does at Ohio State? Well, to me, if I'm if I'm Ohio State, I'm, I'm going to come into this game and, um, you know, they, they just come off the game, obviously, where they were very aggressive and, and, and uh, Michigan had, what was it, four or five plays over 70 yards. Uh, that created these explosive plays. So um, I don't think that you can come in and set back on your heels. I think you've got to find a way to create negative plays against Georgia. Uh, but to do that, I don't know that you can just go out there and play man-to-man. -man. I think you've got to be able to mix it up with some zone blitzes, uh, you know, um, may maybe uh, bringing just a plug-in backer here or there, bringing a corner blitz. I think they're going to have to find some ways to do that. Um, but at the same time, 
you know, if, if they're talking about scoring 40 points, if they feel like offensively they got to score 40 points to win, that would change how I would play defensively. Uh, because if I'm feeling like I'm that I'm going to do that, I know how I'm going to call the game uh, from the offensive side. Uh, maybe you, you're a little more cautious and 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 try to make Georgia earn it uh, down the field as opposed to giving up, taking chances and giving up explosive plays. It's one of the best things that I think Kirby has done since he's been at Georgia, uh, which he's done a lot of great things, right? But on game day, playing complimentary football. I think they have done a phenomenal job of that. We've saw it happen this year. They take the air out of the ball in the second half against Tennessee. Uh, could the offense probably scored every possession? They probably could, but they didn't. They took the air out of the ball and they kind of they won the game. That was that was that's the whole thing. As a lot of people worry about stats, Kirby's not worried about stats. He's worried about that stat at the end of the year. Uh, he wants to win the football game and finding ways to do that. Yeah, and, and look, in some games you got to score 50, and some games you got to score 16. LSU game, you know, okay, that, that's of a game versus Kentucky. Maybe a little bit of weather. A Kentucky offense is not as much of a threat. I think he ran the ball 16 out of the last 17 times, to your point. He, he calls the game situationally. It isn't one of these, like you said, let's go out, you know, whereas I think and, – and, and look – Different strokes for different folks, right? He's a defensive-minded guy. I think you're a defensive-minded guy. You know, Josh Heupel at Tennessee, you know, he wants to ring the bell. He wants to lead the nation in offense. He's throwing 65-yard passes, you know, with three minutes left. That's what they do. Spurrier, Florida, that was the way they played. So, to your point, the complimentary football, to me, I think is better for the long haul. I kind of think about Kevin Sumlin at A&M. And I think about how the Aggies used to sprint out to these 5-0 and and 6-0 and starts. And I remember talking with John Chavis, a guy that I know you know of uh, quite well, uh, one of the you know finest defensive coaches in recent history. And, I mean, you know, they're playing 90 or 100 snaps a game, whereas other teams are playing 60 or 70. And so by midseason, it's almost like they got two more games on. And people are going, what are you talking about? And it's 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 roster management, Jeremy, isn't it? I mean, you want to when you got that lead. Part of the reason Kirby's taking the air out of the ball is he's trying to keep as many guys healthy as he can and get the game over with as fast as he can. Well, I think there's you can win a game a bunch of different ways, right? And the bottom line is just win the game. I think the unique thing about Georgia and the pro, where the program's at right now. They can win a game a bunch of different ways. They can win it with special teams. They can win it with defense. Like you said, they can win it by scoring 50 or however how many they scored against LSU. I mean, they, they took the gas off, you know, the last game against LSU. Uh, defensively was struggling a little bit. We talked about that. Uh, jumped out on them so much and changed quarterbacks. So they kind of took the air out of the ball in the second half and kind of grinded it. I mean, Stetson was kind of on fire. So, uh, I mean, I, I think Georgia can win the game a lot of different ways where a lot of teams can't do that, uh, which I think that makes them unique. Conversely, what's the danger with Stroud? I saw some video of him today. You mentioned pushing the pocket. Obviously, Jalen Carter is a guy that can do that. I mean, he's he's special. I don't know if it's an exaggeration to say he's the best since Indomitian soon. I know Alabama's had some pretty special guys. Quinn and Williams comes to mind. Um, but Stroud is a guy, they say, that can throw with pressure and throw that fade that, that he's got this touch. I think, I think you talked a little bit about moving him off his spot. I mean – um, Ohio State's got to know that too, though. How do they counter knowing what Georgia can do? What do you think Ryan Day is going to try to do 
to get that offense on track in that pass game. You already mentioned having to find some sort of run play they can go to. How do you attack that Georgia defense knowing how dominant Carter is between the tackles and how talented those safeties are? Well, uh, to me, they're playing inside, right? So we know that the dome can get it, it can get warm in there, right? It can get warm. Here we are, um, uh, late December. Uh, obviously, we know what the temperatures are outside. It's been a while since Georgia has played. If I'm Ohio State and they feel like they got to score 40, one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to play as fast as I possibly can. Uh, is is my system built to where I can do everything that I want to do? Uh, on one word calls, uh, because I'm going to tell you, I know the guys, the defensive coaches in the other room, they're going to have everything broke down that Ohio State's done. Not just this year, it's going to go back years. And the players are going to know all the little, t- uh, they're going to know the tendencies just like the coaches. All right. And if, and if Ohio State plays slow, the players are going to be able to look, they're going to see, they're going to say, oh yeah, and they line up this, this guy's on the ball, he's off the ball, or such and such is in this spot, the back's here. This is what we're about to get. But if they play fast, uh, it's hard for the players to retain. They're just trying to get the call from from uh, Glenn Schumann and, and process, hey, what's the check? What do we need to be in? I think for Ohio State to have success, they need to play with up-tempo, play as fast as they can. Uh, and I would be trying to get Mr. Carter as tired as I possibly could uh, early and often, you know, because once you get gassed, it's hard to come back. But I'm just – I mean, he's a guy that changes the game. So, you, again, make them run sideline to sideline. Get out there on the perimeter uh, and, and make them run. Of course, it's a slippery slope because if you're not able to move the ball, you're putting your defense right back out on the field, and you know Kirby's going to try and wear these guys out. You know that Munkin and Kirby are going to keep that offense on the field. They're going to drive it. they got a quarterback with escapability. You, you stop everything on third and seven, and he finds a way to get eight or they throw that ball, and it might be four feet over Brock Bauer's head, but he makes the catch and then runs another 12. I mean, it's, it's, it's a gamble, but to me, I think Ohio State knows they got to gamble. I mean, if they are, as I said, if they're talking about scoring 40, I mean, wanting to score 40 and coming right out and announcing it, two, that's a mindset thing. I mean, it's a mind game. You're telling your kids, we can do this. I get it. But if you're going to score, that, that's a gamble. I, I, I get it, though. You, you can either die a slow death against Georgia – or you can gamble. And that's the way I've looked at it. You know, I've talked to you about that before, about how I'd plot shit. I'd be, oops, I'd, I'd be gambling. I'd be taking my chances. All right. All right. So, what, Mike, tell me again, what's Kirby's record when they score 30 points? That's what I'm saying. He's you 50, said 56 and one. 56 and one. Well, I'm going to tell you, Georgia's going to score 30 points. <laughs> They're going to score more than 30 points. So, uh, Ryan Day, he needs to figure out how he can score more than 32. And I think playing fast will give them, will give them uh, at least a, a chance. I think, I think a lot of points are going to be scored. Coach, before I let you go, uh, I, I guess I'll ask for your prediction. And I, I mean, it's, it's only Monday, and the game's kind of far off. But how do, you, how do you see this one playing out? What are your thoughts on this game? And then what are your thoughts uh, on uh, your Cliff Notes version on the TCU-Michigan game? You know, I, I, I believe Georgia has the best team. Uh, top to bottom, I think they they obviously they've got the best football team. Um, we know that that turnovers obviously can can affect uh, who wins and loses games. The best teams don't always win and on any given day, but I do believe Georgia has the best the best team. I think if this is if it's even turnovers are even, no special teams plays. I think Georgia wins thirty one to seventeen. 
31 to 21, something like that. Uh, I think it's going to take uh, several turnovers uh, on Georgia's side for Ohio State to, to find a way to, to win this game. Uh, so, but I, I look 31-21, 31-17 Georgia. Wow, not as many points as I would have thought. Your thoughts on TCU Michigan? I, I know you don't invest a lot of time watching outside the SEC. You got a feel or a thought about that game? I like Michigan. I think Michigan's the second best football team uh, that probably matches up pretty good with Georgia. Um, they've got a running quarterback. I, I think Michigan probably wins this game pretty handedly. Yep, mobility there. Coach Pruitt, really appreciate you joining us, man. I look forward to having you on next Monday. We'll recap this. You've been pretty good on these picks. That score 31-17. That's a good one. All things being equal. I know the ball can bounce. All things being back. equal. It, it, you know how it is. I, I think 31-17, 31-21, somewhere in there. Great stuff. Appreciate it, Coach. We're going to take our halftime break now. I want to thank our sponsor, Ingles. want you to watch this message from Ingles. And when we come back, we'll be joined by Emily Gagnon from – uh, 47 Atlanta. That Ingles sells more organics than any other store, or that they run their own dairy, or that they only serve USDA choice and prime meat? Did you know that they have more local craft beer than any place else, or that they have energy smart stores, or that they professionally slice and package imported cheese from Europe? Did you know about their giant international aisle, local farm partnerships, curbside pickup, wine department, or that they donate 3,956 meals a day to local food banks? Well, now you do. It's all in the bag. Ingles, low prices, love the savings. Welcome back to the program. Mike Griffith here waiting for uh, Emily to turn that camera on. We'll have Emily Gagnon from TV 47 Atlanta News first. She is with us now, and uh, we'll get her adjusted just a second ago. And, yeah, I get talking football, and uh, you heard it tonight, right? You heard Jeremy say, you know, you can sense the excitement. You can sense the buildup. And, yeah, when I talk football, every now and then, one of those words will slip out. So I apologize that that word slipped out. It wasn't a really, really bad word, but it was probably a little bit stronger than what you used to hear in On Dog Nation. So that's how Mike gets when he talks football off camera. You got a little bit of that on camera tonight. Pretty authentic. I mean, I'm in the media workroom. I'm at the media hotel. I've been talking football with Ohio State guys, with Georgia guys, with Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl workers, CBS 46, WANF, Emily Gagnon waiting on Emily. Thank you. I see Johnny Bolton says, we're all grown, Mike. It's good. It is. It's past 8 o'clock. We'll put a PG rating on tonight's show on our Ingles on the Beach show here tonight on a Monday night. It is exciting. And tomorrow we're going to have an opportunity to uh, see some of the players and coordinators right here at the Media Hotel uh, early tomorrow morning. So when you read Dog Nation tomorrow, uh, you get on there about 10, 1030. Um, you're going to see all sorts of stories popping up from Connor Riley and myself. You see some stories up right now. They had some Zoom press conferences with Kirby and Ryan Day. And uh, do we have Emily with us now, Michael? Do we have Emily's feed here? Take a look and see if we got Emily Gagnon joining us yet. Have not heard her. Got to get her microphone and camera on. Uh, the restream program tonight. Uh, having a few bugs, but uh, no problem. Plenty of time to get this fixed. And now it goes dark. We got a dark. We going. Uh, we got a blackout here in the media. Mike, can you hear me? I can hear you, Emily. We got. I'm Emily. not sure why you can't see me, but you you can hear me. You, Emily, we we can hear you just fine. 
Um, you, you might want to turn the lights on in the studio. That would help us. <laughs> well, Emily, you were here at the media hotel and, and obviously things are starting to pick up a little bit. What are your just kind of initial thoughts? I mean, anything changed, you know, now that they're on site, have, have you had any, any kind of vibe you picking up any kind of feeling about this game now that you've had more time to think about it? No, I mean, I think it's uh pretty cool for Georgia to have actually been able to practice at home today before they headed over. I mean, I think that's a huge advantage, right? I mean, this is their home away from home, their third time playing here this season, not to mention for Stetson, this will be what four times in essentially an entire year since uh, he's a starter at Georgia, but an advantage for the dogs and for Stetson Bennett himself, uh, you know, two and one at that stadium, hoping for three and one. So you got to believe that uh, the dogs right now feeling pretty good. Yeah, really five times if you really want to go back another, what, three weeks, five times in 60 weeks if you want to count the SEC championship game. So twice last year, this will be the third time. And, you know, Kirby Smart was asked about that advantage today. He said, you know, what is the advantage of playing in this building so many times? And Kirby said, you know, you just kind of know where the play clock is at. You know, it helps the quarterback when he's at the line of scrimmage. Kirby calls it the shot clock. It's obviously the play clock gives him a better idea of just how much time he's got bleeding that clock down. Sometimes they try to do that. And there's Emily. Now we, we do have your video feed. Emily, thank you. For <laughs> I'm here. Michael getting fancy here with the uh, three-way screen. I think he's showing uh, Dominic. I like Blake. it. I like it. Yeah. He's, he's just, he's going crazy tonight too. Um, I, I do think there's an advantage. What, what do you expect the crowd split to be? I've, I've seen Ohio state travel really well, but I know there's a lot of dog fans going to this game too. Well, listen, when I talked to the organizers of the Peach Bowl, when we were applying for credentials, and of course, more people in than we should have been trying to get in, um, we were told that this was the highest demand from a media perspective for the Peach Bowl, because both markets, Atlanta, and of course, you've got all the stations in Ohio interested, you know, beyond just where the university is located, Cleveland also, huge market. So as far as the media perspective there's going to be a ton of media there so then you just listen to that then you know a lot of people will be there they're expecting a record crowd there beating what was it ls the lsu um peach bowl right wasn't that what we were told i think that that was the highest um attendance at mercedes-benz stadium during they were number one in the country they hadn't lost yet that year yeah that's correct okay so they Right now, the Peach Bowl is expecting to have more people there than that. So they're going to set a record. I, I fully expect for there to be a record once that game is done of people attending Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and not just for a college football game, for any kind of game, including the Super Bowl that was here just a few years ago. So when you take that into consideration, you've got to imagine that this game is going to be loud. It's going to be a great atmosphere. And listen, we talk about this, you and I, like from somebody who also covers the Falcons, I've never seen a sold out Falcons game, not ever. Okay. So then you go into that building at Mercedes-Benz Stadium and you see these college games being played there. It's incredible. I remember when UCF played Auburn there a few years ago, that place was so loud, so rowdy. There wasn't an empty seat in the house because UCF that year had gone undefeated, beat Auburn. And I just always use that as an example. That game can sell out, yet a Falcons game can't, you know, but it's going to be a great atmosphere. Dogs fans will be there ready to go. Um, Ohio State fans will be there ready to go. It's cold there right now. I know it's cold here in Atlanta, unusually cold, but I would take this weather over Ohio any single day. I think it's going to be banging. It's going to be good. 
I think it's going to be great too. You know, and Ohio State loves playing indoors. You know, this is a team that likes the fast track much better, I believe, indoors than they are outdoors. You know, Georgia, a seven or seven and a half point favorite. You see, the dogs arrived here earlier today. As Emily said, they practiced in Athens. They bust over the Ohio State. Their team plane came in last night. They had some kids that were coming into the Atlanta airport. They practiced on site. Ohio State wanting to get that psychological edge of being here first. They are the more rested team. They have had an extra week of rest, and they've had more preparation because they didn't have to play in a conference championship game. They've got the edge. They got a player that said recently, this is like a second life. They've got a second. I mean, the sense of urgency, and you can just hear it talking to the Ohio people. And here's the thing, Emily, they're not apologizing for being Ohio State or backing in. I don't know if Georgia fans really understand. I don't know if arrogant is too strong of a word, but if you think Florida fans are confident, wait until you run across Ohio State fans. They think the Michigan losses were flukes. Their tradition is every bit as good as yours in their mind. And Ryan Day pointed out today, hey, they've been in the playoff three out of the last four years. Georgia hasn't. So Kirby was asked about the spread today. And what do you think about being a favorite? Well, you know Kirby, combative as ever. He doesn't want to hear this. How much pressure is on? He said zero. He said, we didn't create that line. We didn't create that point spread. We didn't create the fact that the semifinal game is in Atlanta. None of those things have been created. He says the only pressure George has got is the pressure that they're putting on themselves to be at their best when it's needed. So forget about putting words in Kirby's mouth. Forget about trying to get him along to go with some narrative because he's going to reject all of it, Emily. You've interviewed Kirby, too. And when he's combative, I think that's when he's at his best. (laughs) Well, I know. And you also like to ask questions to push his buttons a little bit, Mike. (laughs) Let's be honest here. The people listening might not know that. You're not the easiest on Kirby. But um, listen, it's Kirby at his best. And we're going to get his best for the next week, no doubt. Just like... uh, you would think you would get the best from day all week, right? I, I hope we get a whole bunch of great sound bites from him. Not to mention, we get to talk to coaches that we don't get to hear from very often. I'm excited to hear from the defensive coaches tomorrow. I mean, come on, we get to sit down with Muschamp. How often do we get to do that during the regular season? It doesn't happen, right? So we get to find out a little bit more about the ins and the outs of, of Georgia's defense tomorrow when we talk to them. Um, but listen, back to what you said is like Ohio State got here on the 25th, on Christmas Day. It kind of reminds me a little bit about a team last year. Remember, Michigan got there on the 25th, too, in Miami. And the dogs completely destroyed Michigan. Let's be honest, that wasn't even a game. So I'm not saying that's what's going to happen this year. But just because they got here on the 25th, I'm not impressed with that. And, yes, they've had more time to rest. But what happened to the Braves when they had more time to rest this offseason, when they had a bye? Okay? When you're not playing or practicing, you're not getting better. So in my opinion, the dogs are coming in this one a little bit more prepared than Ohio State just because they've been playing. They haven't had time to get tired or get complacent. They've stayed on the field. They've kept warm. Interesting. So one of the, I talked with one of the Ohio State writers, Nathan Baird of Cleveland.com, Cleveland Plain Dealer, and I asked him about the mood. I said, what's, what's, what's really going on? He said, you know, Ryan Day is a guy who likes to try to create this fake underdog world for Ohio State, which you're not fooling anybody. Ohio State is by far the most talented team, the most proven team in the Big Ten. They're the cream to the cream. They're the one team from the Big Ten that I think could come down to the SEC and compete with anybody on a weekly basis. They have the talent. They have the depth. They have the resources, all that stuff. 
He says, this time, Ryan Day doesn't have to fake it, okay? The underdog status is real, and Ohio State is reveling. They love this. They absolutely love that they get to be the underdog. And, Emily, I looked this up. The last 10 times that Ohio State's been an underdog, they've won eight of those games outright. They're eight and two over the last 10 years. Is it doesn't happen often. Now, and they lost and they lost their last one as an underdog. Alabama beat them soundly. But look, I'm not confusing this Georgia offense, and I'm, I don't want to upset anybody here, but I don't see five first round picks on this Georgia offense. And I don't see three out of five of the top five Heisman finalists vote. I only saw once. That's in Bennett. That Alabama team in 2020 that beat Ohio State looked a lot different than this one. You may have seen a little bit or heard a little bit. We just had Jeremy Pruitt on, and he said, Mike, don't be fooled by that. They can win a lot of different ways. Let me ask you, do you think we're going to see a high-scoring game on Saturday night? You know, that's a great question, and I think it all just depends on on after the SEC championship game. I want to take it back to the beginning of this month, right? Did we ever think that game would be 50-30? to 30? I mean, there's not – I, I thought maybe LSU would score two touchdowns max. I was like, okay, I'll give them 17 points. But it ended up being 50 to 30. Did I think Georgia would score 50? It's absolutely not. So when you look at this and you know that Ohio State likes to score, I think that Kirby's defense is going to just come out there and be the most prepared of, of anything, right? The offense, like you said, you don't want to like say anything. I don't think Georgia's offense – is going to be as good as Georgia's defense, and that's what Georgia is known for, its defense. It always has been since Kirby's gotten there. That defense last season, unstoppable. The defense this year looks just as good. So I expect Georgia's defense to be on its A game, especially after having 30 points dropped on them against LSU. They did not like that, okay? And they were asked about it, and they're still being asked about it. And tomorrow when we talk to them, we're going to say, hey, wasn't 30 points too much. It was the most that they've had, you know, that they've allowed all season. So they're sick of hearing the fact that they gave up 30 points to the LSU Tigers in the SEC championship game in that building. So they're going to try to make it right in this upcoming game. So, um, you know, I don't know what we're going to see, obviously, on Saturday, but I would expect, just like LSU, I'll say two touchdowns max from, from Ohio State. That's what I'm sticking to just because Georgia's defense is so strong. 549 yards for LSU in that last game. 148 yards in the first quarter of that game. That was a backup quarterback now. C.J. Stroud a little bit better than Mr. Neusmeyer, the backup quarterback whose name we didn't even know before that game. And I think the Ohio State receivers are also a little bit better. I'm with you. I think Georgia's going to play well, but I think Ohio State's going to play well too. And I think this game, to me, the whole key is going to be as long as Georgia can stay even or stay ahead. I I get a little worried about Georgia when they fall behind. That doesn't seem to be the strength of the team. I think back to last year's SEC championship game when they got behind, Stetson started forcing things a little bit. I think about the Missouri game this year. They were behind at halftime. Uh, I think as long as Kirby can keep his team on on a level keel and doesn't let Ohio State get up by two scores. But I'm just not sure how Ohio State's going to move the ball consistently. I know that C.J. Stroud says they just got to let it loose. And I know Marvin Harris is the best receiver. But, look, George is going to have him. When it comes right down to it, this could be as simple as who's able to run the ball better. And, and Emily, I I saw some signs of life 
from the Georgia run game. I mean, Kenny McIntosh carried the offense a bit in November, but I'll tell you, Kendall Milton looks like he's starting to emerge as well. Yeah, you can't argue that uh, RBU for a reason, right? I always like to mention it. And every once in a while we think, especially in the latter years, maybe the last couple, that Georgia perhaps has dropped off a little bit, that the RBU title is no longer there. But I disagree. I just think that Kirby, and he was asked about this today, uses several backs now. The rotation, he just keeps bringing different guys in and off. He switches in and off. The rotation is heavy. The depth is there. So you don't have, like, your one guy. I think the last one there that just was consistently the RB1 was DeAndre Swift. And so since then, you just have all these guys coming in and out so often. But – I myself love McIntosh. I'm a huge Kenny McIntosh fan. I think that as a senior, he's definitely earned this spot. He should be the starter for every game they have until he's done, which might be the next two, right? Um, but he's deserve he's deserving because he had the chance to go in the transfer portal when he wasn't getting the time he wanted. Let's be honest. Kenny wanted to play more than he has played. He would have loved to have that ball way more than he has and he waited, waited his turn, and he was patient, and he learned from all the guys in front of him, and now this has been his season to shine, and he, the last few games, has definitely, definitely, definitely shown why he deserves to be the number one back and why he'll play very well in the NFL. He's versatile. He can run. He can catch. So I expect him to have a really big game against Ohio State. And sure, Ohio State will come into that game ready to stop him or whoever else. Dejon Edwards deserves a huge shout out. I know you mentioned Milton, but Dejon, he has shown off all season. I mean, in instances where other you know, the offense didn't look like it was moving too much. Dejon got the ball, ran it, and it, it opened, you know, it just opens up the offense when you've got so many guys who can do so many things with the ball, especially the running backs. So, um, yes, we will see them run the ball like they usually do. <laughs> Kenny McIntosh, those 180 yards against Georgia Tech, that's the most we'd seen from a back in a game since Swift, not, not Swift 2019, Swift 2018. And the 600 yards rushing and 400 yards receiving, you haven't seen a Georgia running back do that since Todd Gurley. And, and that's why I've been so uh, eager to see Kenny get an opportunity. And I know everybody loved Zamir and, and everybody loved Cook, but Kenny all along has been a guy that could do both things. I go back to the, the, the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl against Cincinnati on that game-winning drive. You know, Cook was was tending to his father who'd passed away, and Zamir wasn't much of a pass catcher. And I still remember JT finding Kenny McIntosh three times on that game-winning drive when they had to score less than two minutes left. And, and then this year, you know, it's fourth and two. You're down 10 in the fourth quarter. You're Todd Munkin inside the five. It's fourth and two. You, what are you going to dial up? Who are you going to trust? They put the ball in Kenny McIntosh's hands. So I did a story today about the four key players, Emily, for Georgia that I think are going to determine this game. Kenny is one of them. I think Stetson's another. You know, Cedric Van Pran was on that Zoom today, and I was asking him about the Ohio State movement. Worries me a little bit when the defense is playing chess. I think about how Missouri confused Stetson. I think about Mississippi State, how they kind of lured him into that audible, you know, that, that got, you know, the incomplete pass and the punt return. Ohio State's going to play chess. They're going to move around, Emily. Stetson Bennett is going to have to make good decisions Saturday night. Oh, I don't disagree with that, right? This is, I, I think earlier in the show, you said something about playing from behind. You don't like Georgia when they have to play from behind. I'm okay with Georgia having to play from behind when it comes to their defense. 
I am not okay with it when it comes to their offense. Like, I think the defense can make stops, right? But then you always have to give the ball back to the offense for them to actually score and get ahead. And that's when I get kind of nervous. I, I, I honestly get nervous when it comes to having to trust Stetson Bennett and the offense to have to come from behind. They did it against Alabama in the national championship, but I know that's what fans think about automatically. But, you know, this is a new year, and we haven't really seen them play from behind. And we haven't really seen them face much adversity. And I know, again, fans and the team will say they face a bunch of it, especially at Mizzou. But let me say this freely. I never thought in that game, me personally, you might disagree here. I never thought in that game against Mizzou that they were going to lose. I thought they're going to figure it out. They'll get it together. Even if it's on the last play, it doesn't matter. I was never worried. Now, if they were playing Ohio State in that same situation, I would be worried. I would think, okay, Georgia might not be able to come back from this. So that's the difference between, to me, Ohio State and a Mizzou or anybody else that they might have faced, quote-unquote, adversity against this season. Ohio State's a different beast. They've never faced them. They don't really know what to expect from them. I I, I definitely think they're going to have some – they're going to get some surprises. But I also think the Buckeyes will get some surprises from Georgia as well. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. I just don't want Georgia's offense to have to play from behind because at that point I would then think, okay, Georgia might not be able to win this one. Georgia might not be playing in L.A. for a national championship for a second year in a row. Yeah, Jeremy Pruitt today talking about how he thought the Lad McConkey injury – could be bigger than the Warren McClendon. We don't know the status of Vlad McConkie, Emily, today. No surprise. Kirby Smart, uh, not real transparent with that. Usually he's pretty good with these injury reports. But, I mean, hey, season's on the line, and it, it makes a big difference. There, there's not another player like Vlad McConkie. I, mean, I, I just don't think you can trust AD at this point to play like AD last year. You know, we, we haven't seen him up to speed. He threw a nice pass uh, on a two-point conversion play. But we haven't seen him in – the same prolific shape that he was in at the start of the year before the injury. So I think A.D. Mitchell still a bit of a question mark. Uh, you think about Marcus Rosen, Jack Sane, and, you know, I think about seven and 12-yard receptions and, you know, falling down or getting tackled. I don't think about him as a game-breaking kind of guy. Arian Smith knows so little of the offense that he's not an every-down receiver. He doesn't block good enough. Same with Dominic Blaylock. You only see him on third downs. They don't put him on the early down. I think Lad McConkey is really pivotal here. I mean, you got to have that threat on the outside. And, you know, I'll be really eager when they have the open practice to see if Ladd McConkey is out there running around and back full steam. No, Ladd McConkey could make the difference in that game. Like, absolutely, right? There's nothing that guy can't do. He's kind of like, I, listen, I, I understand Brock Bowers and him are completely different positions, and we don't want to compare the two because you already know Brock Bowers is going to be a, a top five, maybe top ten pick when he comes out. What I'm saying, and listen, listen, I love Lad, but he's not going to go in the top 10. What I am saying, though, is he's a game changer in the sense that you get the ball to him and he can do anything with it. Just like Brock Bowers, as long as he can get the ball, he can do anything with it. So I love the fact that Lad has come out of nowhere. He, I think we said this like last time we were together on the show, he was like what recruit 1000 in the country. Nobody even knew his name. He goes to Georgia, puts his time in, goes on the scout team, proves that he can do things. And then he gets his opportunity on the field and does the most that he can with it. And ever since he got the ball and showed us that he could handle it, even though he's made some small mistakes, muff punts, whatever, um, he, he can handle the pressure and he can find the end zone and he can make big plays when given the opportunity. And if he is not in that game, 
I do believe, like you said, who is going to step up in his absence? Georgia has depth. We already know that. They have a lot of depth at a lot of positions. That's what Kirby and his staff have truly been able to do. And that's why they've been so successful in my eyes. It's just because they have so many guys who can do so many things when one guy goes out and another comes in. But with Ladd, he, you can't say that about another receiver on the team, that you could just get the ball to them and they can do whatever. I truly believe you get the ball to Ladd and he will make a play happen. He will move the chains. But you can't say that about everybody. So it is interesting the fact that Kirby isn't telling us anything about him because if he were healthy, don't you think he would have came out and said that? Like, yep, Ladd's ready to go. So like you, I, I want to see him in, in the few minutes that we're going to get at practice, though we're still not going to see him go full speed. I mean, certainly when the cameras are there rolling, we're not going to see him go full speed. But if there's one thing I know about Lad from covering him this past year, he's such a tough guy and he wants to play and he loves football. So if he can play, he'll be out there. No doubt. Even if it hurts just a little bit, he'll make his way out there. Talking to Emily Gangyan. She is from CBS 46 Atlanta news first two more X factors for you. Now I, I said the four key guys, uh, Stetson Bennett, Kenny McIntosh on defense. It's, it's no secret. Chris Smith and Jalen Carter, they're playmakers. I think everybody could have guessed those. But two guys that I think could make a difference and need to play well, and that is Darnell Washington and Malachi Starks. There's been times with Malachi Starks of late when he's been on the wrong end of a few plays, and he's only a freshman. Emily, I wonder, did Brian Kelly and LSU find something, and how quickly – can Muschamp, Schumann, and Kirby get Malachi Stark straightened out? Does he still have his confidence after a couple of those plays he got beat on? I absolutely think he's got a ton of confidence. You have to, right? You're a kid, so you're going to have these things happen. And he was put out there. He proved that he could play very, very young. So they put him out there. They trusted him. They knew that he could do it. And, and what's interesting with signing day having just passed, you know, Kirby talked about the fact that the early enrollees got a whole spring under their belt and how much it helps them. And, and some of them get to play before others and not per se because of that early enrollee time that you get to spend with everybody. But Malachi Starks got there well before everybody else. He put in a whole spring with the team and then he got to start as a true freshman. And when he, I just keep thinking back at that Oregon game, game one in that same building they'll be in on Saturday. He was doing things like he had been there. He was acting like he had been on that stage before. There are not many kids of his age that could have handled that kind of situation. When he intercepted Knicks, again, acting like he had done that before in college ball in front of thousands of people on the biggest stage in college football, why wouldn't he continue to do that? He is. College football players, high school football players, peewee football players, they make mistakes and they learn from them and they move on and the best of the best make mistakes and never make them again. I expect Malachi Starks to be one of those guys that once he makes these mistakes, that he doesn't make them again, that he learns from that and he continues to play on big stages and create big moments on big stages because that's just who he is, the talent he has. He loves the ball. He's a hawk. He's always around the ball. He makes plays around the ball. So, um, you know, I think he isn't he still up. He's a finalist for uh, freshman of the year. Yeah, I don't think that's been passed out yet. Yeah, Has he's one of the finalists for that. Yeah, he's one of the finalists. And, and, and for a reason, right? I love him, but I also love Chris Smith. Let's be honest. He came back and, and listen, 
for a lot of guys who come back, you're not sure if they're making the right choice or if they do come back, they don't get the playing time they want or whatever. He truly has made the best of his super senior season. He really, really has. I love the fact that he came back and he's playing the way he has. Because last year I was thinking, mm, I don't think that guy, I think he's going to have a shot at the NFL, but I don't know if he'll actually get to play, right? But now I'm like, okay, he'll get drafted in a later round and he could really make a difference on an NFL team. And that's what these players want. Ultimately, they want to win a championship and they want to move on and make a lot of money in the NFL. Okay. And Chris Smith has given himself that opportunity with the way he's played this year. And when you talk to anybody in the DB room, they'll tell you he is the captain. Okay. He leads the way. He is the one that they look at when they need anything, when they want advice. Chris Smith is there because he's a yeah, he's a senior and he's a great sorry, player. Buddy. He's a senior and he's a great player, Emily. You know, I look at Chris Smith's probably gone. Keely Ringo, a projected first-round pick. This could likely be his final season. Jalen Carter, obviously his final season, a top-five projection. Kirk let the cat out of the bag, told us Nolan Smith is gone. He had another year. I thought maybe with the injury that he might come back another year. Offensively, Broderick Jones, a projected first-rounder at left tackle. Got to think he's leaning. Don't know about Cedric Van Pran yet. Kenny McIntosh, he's gone. Stetson will be somewhere. I don't know where. He hasn't been invited to an all-star game yet, but I do think he's going to try professional football, certainly give a, a whirl at the NFL. And, and knowing Stetson, if that doesn't work, he may go the Flutie route and go to Canada if he has to, just to keep playing because he loves the game so much, right? I don't know that Dominic Blaylock is going to be, be back. Karis Jackson kind of hinted the other day that he was almost out of there. I thought that was interesting. I think Kendall Milton is coming back. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of guys in transition. And then the news today, which kind of surprised me, Jack Podlesny. Now, I understand, you know, kickers can only get so much better from year to year, Emily. But, you know, this is a deep draft for kickers. And, and he's not in a lot of scouts top four. Now, he may go out there and outkick him and outperform in, the, in, in these kicker workouts. But, that surprised me. I thought he might come back. Um, you know, Georgia still, though, Kirby said today, I thought this was interesting as well. He already started talking. I don't know if you caught this about reloading next year. I, did you did you catch that when he said that the next guys for next year are already working out, looking good out there? Am I wrong in saying this? And I don't even know if you know the answer to this. And I'm pretty sure that I'm saying this correctly, but I might not be. Uh Hasn't Nick Saban complained in the past about having to practice for the national championship and recruit and do all those things at the same time because he's so, like, worried? I mean, while Saban should be worried about the national championship, he also has to worry about recruiting kids and all that stuff. I feel like that's what Kirby's going through right now. He's having to worry about a national championship but also having to worry about all these other teams he's putting together and having to recruit and having to keep all these recruits happy and call them and pay attention to the um, transfer portal and all this other thing so it's like one thing that doesn't stop so I feel like he can't stop from talking about next year's team and reloading and all that stuff because it's in his face every single day you've got your team and you know what you have but then you also have to plan and reload for next year because you want to win another one even though you haven't won the other one yet <laughs> it's just like one of those things that never ever ends college football is a 24-7 thing like you and I've talked about this before during the off season, there's really no off season. We continue to talk about the dogs and we continue to talk about the sec. And that's what it's become. College football is almost, listen, I love col college football. It's like, I prefer that to the NFL. I cover both and I love football period, but I prefer college football to the NFL just because of the passion the fans have. It's different from the NFL. The fans make it the game that it is right. And kids play a little, 
I'm not saying NFL players don't play hard, but what I'm saying in college, you play harder because you want to get to the NFL. So you're truly trying. It's your passion. It's what you're doing, right? So it's just interesting to me that college has become almost like the NFL in the sense that it's a 24 hour business. And with NIL, it hasn't gotten any better. It's just going to get worse now that so much money is involved, but it's a fun thing for fans and for us and for anybody involved to discuss, but pretty soon, I mean, who knows? And with the expansion of the playoffs, some of these teams are going to be playing like NFL schedules. They'll have to play what 18 games. If you don't get a bye week and you're the last seed, do you not have to play like 18 games in a season? Yeah, we're, we're working on that with a 12-team playoff, and they're trying to figure that out right now, Emily. They're not really sure what they're going to do with the schedule, if they're going to move it up. We've got 2023, one more year of this routine. It looks like these other bowls going by the wayside, all these other opt-outs. One nice thing about the playoffs is you really don't see guys opt out like like you do, even in the New Year's Six Bowls, right? And, and I remember Eric Stokes telling me, hey, if this was a playoff game, I wouldn't be opting out. But it's only the New Year's Six Bowl, and I and I got that, and and obviously Eric Stokes was uh you know one of the great players and one of the great heroes for Georgia. I don't think anybody held that against him. But I you know you look at a team like Tennessee, they're missing their top two receivers, their quarterbacks injured, now they're starting middle linebackers out. All these Tennessee fans excited about a ten win season, going all the way to Miami to watch their team play Clemson, a team they recruit against heavily. By the way, this is a very important game recruiting wise, and they're not going to be lo- they're not going to be fully loaded so one more reason to like George being in the playoff and the way they're positioned I look at next year's schedule Emily right now I think it's more likely than not they'll be 12 and 0 again don't know who they'll play in the SEC title game maybe Brian Kelly he's done a great job and then certainly you think Georgia would be one of the 12 playoff teams in 2024 when the national championship is right here in Atlanta. And I can keep looking into my crystal ball all night. I know you got a newscast coming up there on CBS 46 at nine. Before I let you go, I want to get your prediction on how you think this game's going to go down. Listen, I, I'm not, I, I think, so let's just go based off of what I said earlier. I do think that Ohio state will, will get two touchdowns. You know, let's give them, let's give them a field goal. So let's say 24 to 17. I do think it's going to be a close one. And I do think Georgia's going to win. I honestly think Georgia's going to win. I think that Kirby, he does such a good job. And I'm not even talking about physically, mentally. He does such a good job preparing his players mentally. The things that he says to them, the things that they do throughout the week, the videos that they play. Um, When you talk to former players, that is the one thing that I love hearing stories about. It's the week of preparation leading up to a game and the mental games. And I'm not saying games in a bad way, just the mental games that Kirby and his staff play on these players to be able to prepare mentally to go out there. And I say it almost every day when I'm talking about the dogs, when I'm on a newscast, if I'm talking to anybody, the one thing that stands out to me the most, it'll be on Kirby's tombstone. Practices were harder than playing on Saturdays. And that's what we're going to see from this team. I don't know what it's like at Ohio State. I don't know if practices at Ohio State are harder than playing on Saturday is, but there is not a situation that Kirby Smart and his staff don't put these players in throughout the week that they won't see on a Saturday. So when they do see it on a Saturday, they're prepared. So that is one thing about Kirby. He He's not going to get caught into something that he ha- that more than likely he hasn't seen before. 
you're not going to fool him very often. And that could be something that comes from Nick Saban, or it could just be something that he, you know, was taught along the way. But it's not very often that Saban is caught in these situations either. So I, I like Georgia on Saturday. I don't think it's going to be an easy game by any stretch of the imagination. I absolutely think it's going to be a close one. It's going to be excited for the fans that are there, for the fans watching. But you know, Mike, I want to go to L.A. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm already packed. I want to get out of this uh, cold weather. So I think that you and I will be uh, on a plane pretty soon. It <laughs> sounds good. Yeah, I want to be at SoFi Stadium, too. I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm told it's like there's just a big, like a big, just covered like a tent over. It's like it's not a conventional dome. So I'm really eager to go see that stadium. I can't imagine what it would be like trying to go out there and cover that game. I'll be going out there either way. But if it's two Big Ten teams, can you imagine just how miserable and how many Big Ten people are going to be hitting me and telling me about joy? I just I don't even want to think about this scenario because it would be very difficult to imagine Georgia not being there after everything they've been through. This incredible run, this Hollywood Stetson Bennett story that you've told so many times, Emily. So many people have told this Stetson Bennett rags to riches story. It's just not supposed to end here in Atlanta. Like that just doesn't work. Like that doesn't, it's like a NASCAR race. Like, Oh, what do you know? Dale Earnhardt won again. How about that? I'm not saying the NASCAR was fixed or anything, but you just get the feeling that this story can't end here. It's got, they got to at least make it out to Hollywood. I don't know what happens once we get out to Hollywood one way or another, Stetson Bennett's going to be in Hollywood. Yeah, and, he'll, he'll have his star, his star right there, ready for him. The star on now there you go now you're breaking news you're telling me they're going to put a star of Stetson Bennett what is it Hollywood Boulevard is that that's right is that right he's gonna be right next to yours is that right? <laughs> <laughs> Emily thank you so much for joining me tonight I really appreciate it look forward to having you on again next week we'll be talking about this game one way or another I'm going to stick around and answer some questions go do your newscast CBS 46 Emily Gagnon obviously you love her she does a great job and she does a great job with all the sports. So thanks for joining me tonight, Emily. Great stuff. Thanks, Mike. Have a good night, guys. All right. Have a good one. Yeah, a lot of fun with Coach Pruitt tonight and Emily. Um, you know, two outspoken folks that know a lot about sports, you know. And, um, you know, one of the reasons I like having Emily on and one of the reasons that, um, you know, I've, I've got a lot of professional respect for her. She works really hard. And when I say that, you'll see her doing a lot of interviews. You'll see her doing the stand-ups from Athens live. You don't see a lot of TV people that'll drive all the way to Athens just to do a stand-up in front of Sanford Stadium. But she's right. She loves college football. She studies it. She knows the games. And she's not afraid to ask the difficult questions at the press conference. I know she she was teasing me about asking Kirby tough questions. Emily asks tough questions, too. And, and sometimes you've got to do that. I don't know that fans really understand where the media is coming from. Like, well, why did you ask that question if you already knew how he was going to answer it? Because how they answer it is what you write down, and you can't be presumptive. So pretty interesting. I don't know if any of y'all got any questions. Uh, I'm going to take a look here at, at the Q&A, um, see if you guys have any questions. Michael, if you can dial up some questions. Uh, I see the worm is saying Stroud is getting the same treatment that Hooker got. You know, one of the things Coach Pruitt said that I thought was interesting, he thinks that there's going to be enough of a home field advantage to play a factor. And that was a huge factor. Now, I can't imagine – that it's going to get as loud as Sanford stadium did. I, I just, I can't imagine that it's going to get that loud and, and contribute to six false starts, but will it be loud enough to interfere with the snap and, and prevent CJ Stroud from making calls at the line of scrimmage? 
that's going to be really key. That was one of the big factors uh, against Tennessee. Looks like we have a question here uh, from Abraham. Wants to know which Ringo is going to show up. Well, in fairness to Keely Ringo, sometimes in coverage, he's letting guys go because he thinks he has safety help. So the real key is they've got to be on the same page. And Kirby will play a lot of combo coverages. And what I mean by that is maybe one side it's it's a match zone and on another side it's it's something a little different, right? A lot of disguising going on, a lot of pre-snap movement. And we don't always know what the play calls are. So we presume, oh, Ringo got beat. Well, maybe he didn't. Maybe he was supposed to let the guy go and the safety didn't rotate over. Like So I wouldn't be so quick to jump Keeley all the time. Now, there have been times he's been straight up beat, but he's made a lot of big plays. And he's made a lot of clutch plays. And Ringo has come up big in the clutch time and again. And you've seen it. You saw him do it against Tennessee. You saw him do it in the national title game last year. So uh, I see Hugh Nash asking me, am I reporting from my home? No, this is actually uh, Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl media headquarters. You see I'm in the media workroom here uh, at the media hotel going live. I've had a few people come in. Uh, so my buddy uh, Dasher from Rivals came in and, and uh, you know, flagged me down, worked to distract me a little bit. I saw Matt Garvey, the, the public relations director, uh, people going, what in the world's going on, Mike? There's nobody in this room. Why are you in here talking? Because we're doing Ingles on the beat. And this is what we do every Monday night. Uh, Carbell, if there's any more questions, for some reason I've lost this, the live stream of the questions from the, uh, from the fans, or I'd be answering them in uh, machine gun order here. Uh, Kirby, pretty good today, as I said, did not give us an update on Warren McClendon and Ladd McConkey. We don't know. News broke earlier today. Jack Podlesny is leaving the program. Uh, he will leave after this season. He will not be back in 2023. He's going uh, right now. He's currently going uh, to the Hula Bowl, which is now in Orlando. So pretty interesting that, that, that Jack Podlesny is coming back. Haven't heard anything on uh, Cedric Van Pran and his status yet. We're not really sure. Uh, what Sed's going to do next year. Uh, I've heard some people saying he's leaning, but, you know, boy, he's a team captain. He's one of those guys that could win a Remington. Maybe there could be some NIL money to keep him at Georgia another year. I see Joseph Kennedy. Uh, oh, hey, Joe, wants to say uh, that need to get Arian Smith uh, going. You know what? He's good for one big play a game, right? And the problem, I don't want to call it a problem, but the limitation, and Todd Munkin said this at the beginning of the year, he's a situational player. Right. He's not a down in and down out player. So um, I think uh, that that's something that's that's something that, you know, something to keep in mind is that Arian's not a guy that he's not known for being a physical blocker. Kirby likes guys on the perimeter on first and second down that can not only catch passes, but also block. So it's something to keep in mind. Uh, I think a pretty good observation here from uh, OG Stoney Jackson. Somebody will give Stetson a chance in the NFL. Probably so. Uh, probably so. I, I was told that there are teams that have a fifth to seventh round draft grade on him. Um, that's important to know. All it takes is one team, right? All it takes is one team to like you. And I guarantee you there are teams out there that look at Stetson and say, you know what? We can use this guy. This could be our savvy veteran, maybe a, a red zone guy with his mobility or, or just a guy you want to bring in. You have a curiosity about maybe you sign him. You put him on a practice squad. I mean, he may not be quite the prototypical guy that Jake Fromm is. Jake's a little bigger, a little stronger, a little bit more arm talent. But Stetson's got mobility that Jake doesn't have. 
And nowadays, teams want quarterbacks that are more mobile, and they need to have more mobile quarterbacks. I mean, wouldn't Stetson be a great backup to Justin Fields with the Chicago Bears? When you think of all the great things that Justin Fields is doing right now and how he's able to run with the ball, Stetson could probably run that offense because he's also able to run the ball. I could I could see him being a, a good backup for Fields in Chicago um, and running a similar offense. So I, I think you're on to something there. Uh, is there free uh, – Chick-fil-A food here, Craig Jones wants to know. You know, you know it, right? And Gary Stoken is such a bull czar. And I always promote Gary. And people say, well, we don't even know who Gary is. Well, if you don't know, you should know. Because let me tell you, Gary Stoken should have a statue built in the city of Atlanta. And I'm not even kidding. When I started covering Peach Bowls 20 years ago, the Peach Bowl was at the bottom. It was at the bottom rung. And nobody wanted to come to this game. It was like, oh, we got to go to Atlanta. We got to go to Georgetown. We got to go to the Peach Bowl. And Gary was out there with those chicken sandwiches, man, handing them out to the media, doing everything he could to make this event big. And he worked to get the Peach Bowl into the New Year's Six rotation, which I could blow my mind. Now, Atlanta is a fantastic destination city. We love the airport. I love the airport. I know some of the people think I'm crazy. I love that airport. I love Hartsfield-Jackson Airport. Love it, love it, love it. And it is a great place to fly into. And it's it, you get anywhere in the world. And Gary built off of that. And now you've got Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which to me is the best stadium that I've ever been in. I've been in Jerry World. Haven't been to uh, Las Vegas Stadium yet. Haven't been to SoFi. But of all this, I've been in every other stadium. It's the best. And between Gary Stoken, the facilities, the city of Atlanta – to have all this happening here is is so exciting. It's so great. I know Nashville's going to try and steal some stuff. They're building that dome stadium. Don't let it happen, Atlanta. I love Atlanta, and I love the job that Gary Stoken has done bringing the Peach Bowl into prominence. Listen, he's a one-man gang, and he deserves a lot of credit. In fact, it was Gary Stoken, and I'm, I'm going to get this on the record. I, it was Gary Stoken that got Kirby to wear those black jerseys at the Peach Bowl. And Gary tried to play it off and said, oh, yeah, you know, Georgia just said Kirby's like, well, you asked this to. <laughs> and, and the fact that Kirby did it for Gary Stoken, because I don't think Kirby was going to wear black jerseys for anybody else. But Gary wanted to see those black jerseys against those red Cincinnati. And didn't it look great? Wasn't that an awesome looking game? The color contrast. Kirby played in this game. Kirby respects Gary. Stoken. That tells you everything, right? The relationship. You can just see there's a mutual respect between Gary and Kirby. So, yes. There are there is free chicken sandwiches here uh, for the media. Um, although it, the press conference is in the morning, I don't think I'm going to be eating Chick Fil A sandwich in the morning. And actually, tonight's dinner was just very nice. Um, it was a very traditional dinner, in fact. Uh, you know, mashed potatoes and gravy and salad and all that kind of stuff. So, and media food. I mean, what can you say? Uh, you, it, it's it's nice that you go somewhere and you get treated really well. And the, and the Peach Bowl folks really do that. They do a great job. So I want to thank everybody tonight that joined me. I was really appreciative that, that Coach Pruitt came on with us. Uh, you know, this is a holiday time, a family time. And certainly Jeremy's having that, that time with his family. The fact that he reached out and said, hey, I'm ready to go tonight. You know, and I, you know, I wasn't going to, you know, ask him to do it on a holiday. But he said, hey, let's do it. He joined us. He gave a great breakdown. If you missed the front end of the show, you're going to want to go back and watch it. Jeremy will tell you exactly how he thinks this game's going to go. He told us exactly how he thinks Ohio State is going to attack Georgia offensively, defensively, and then gave his prediction. I really appreciate that transparency. 
You know, a lot of coaches, they don't want to put any opinions out there. They don't want to offend anybody. You guys know that's not Jeremy. He's going to tell you what he thinks. And he told you, Dog Nation, tonight what he thought. And then Emily Gagnon, you saw her. You see her on CBS 46. You know, I was talking to Michael Carbell. I said, hey, I think I'm going to have Emily on the show tonight. And he said, boy, she's not afraid to give a hot take. And she's not. She's opinionated. And the reason she's opinionated is because she studied and she knows what she's talking about. You know, I've had people say to me, boy, you just throw your listen. I don't just throw it out there. I know what I'm talking about. I feel like I know what I'm talking about as part of having all the experience. Right. Well, it's part of the work that Emily does. It's part of the work that Jeremy's done as a coach. So I hope you appreciate the opinions. I know we all have sports opinions. Uh, We all enjoy talking about football. It's kind of what makes Dog Nation so special is this kind of programming. And every day at 10 a.m., you have Brandon Adams on Dog Nation Daily. And you've seen Connor Riley on Sunday night. You've seen Jeff Santel and his fantastic recruiting program on Wednesday. I can tell you this week, we are going to have some special programming. So check back on your Dog Nation Facebook, your Dog Nation YouTube channel, because there's going to be some live stuff going on over at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and Dog Nation is planning in some way, shape, or form to get you some live shots from over there and to get you some footage of Georgia practice. We haven't been able to do much of that this season. Kirby's kept it closed down, but the bowl games are saying, guess what, Coach? You got to open it up for 15 minutes. There's going to be two days this week. And tomorrow, a lot of coverage on what those defensive coordinator and defensive players say from Georgia and offensive coordinator and offensive players from the Ohio State from right here in downtown Atlanta. So for Jeremy Pruitt, for Emily Gagnon, for my producer, Michael Carvel, want to thank you again for joining me. Shoot your questions in the comments. You can email me uh, at MikeGriffith032 at Gmail if you've got questions for me. Or go to our Dog Nation forum. I'm always in there. Those threads are live. Sometimes there's some arguing. I'm just going to warn you. Some of those guys like to mix it up in there. You better be ready. You better be ready to back up your words if you go on the Dog Nation forum because it gets a little live in there. Tonight was great. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. Enjoy the game on Saturday night.